Hello, dear listener, Cody Sullivan again, bringing you a remastered telling of an original pulp classic. We hope you've been enjoying the Curbside Pulp series, but this being the eighth installment, you should know that means that there are only two Curbside episodes left before we take a brief hiatus to complete working on season two of Pulp from Beyond the Veil. We are very excited to get back to our traditional format, and there has been no shortage of volunteer contributors looking to bring our cabal of characters to life. But on to today's episode, as I said, this is a remastered telling of one of my favorite stories. When a stressed out New Yorker visits the foothills of Vermont for the first time, he finds himself in the midst of a degree of high strangeness. You can't trust that true forest darkness in this tale simply called The Owl. I suppose you could say I've never really been much of an outdoors person. Growing up in the city will do that to you. If I ever want to see trees, I can always take a stroll through Central Park on a Sunday afternoon when the air is warm and the sun is bright. But even then, who has the time for that? I spend most of my days surrounded by concrete walls, enveloped by conditioned air, and you know what? That's all right with me. My recent experience with an altogether unexplained phenomenon within the foothills of Vermont is the exact reason why I choose to stay nestled within the walls of my apartment building on the Upper East Side. Until now, I've never shared this story partly because I felt none of my friends would believe me, and partly because I thought if I ignored it, I could forget. While the former remains to be seen, the latter has proven to be utterly wrong. It all started with me having what my therapist calls an emotional episode at work, I prefer to call it a full-blown nervous breakdown. I'm still not sure exactly what triggered me. Sure, I was under a lot of stress at the time, and still am, but I've never quite experienced anything like that feeling when I stepped into that elevator. I felt... uneasy at first. Nervous and restless. Strangely... I found myself wishing that the doors wouldn't close. I was scared at the thought of being alone in that elevator, like something bad was going to happen. Well, something bad did happen, of course. Before I could shake the paralyzing fear, the doors closed in together. Through the brushed, stainless steel of the doors, I could see my blurry reflection looking back at me. That was until the power went out and my world went black. I remember hearing this terrible sound. Like a rustling of leaves mixed with a flapping of wings and I could hear myself screaming. 
16 seconds. That's how long I was in the elevator for. When I got to my destination, which unfortunately was the lobby, everyone had heard my screams echoing down the elevator shaft, so that when the doors finally opened, there was a small mob of concerned onlookers who immediately rushed in to help me. I wanted to tell them about the strange incident that had just overtaken me, but I must have been rendered mute from the shock. Apparently, my eyes were wide open, but I can't remember seeing anyone's faces. I just felt their hands all over me. As soon as I regained my sight, I cried like a scared child curled up into a ball. My supervisor is one of the best people I've ever worked for. When she heard about the incident, not only did she pull the footage from the elevator, she invited me into her office so that we may view it privately as soon as I return to work after a <laughs> mandatory three-day weekend. Afterwards, she promised she would dispose of the embarrassing footage. I told her about how when I stepped into the elevator that the power went out and I was suddenly in the dark. I told her about the, the noise and how deafening it became, but something wasn't right with the footage. It doesn't look like the power goes out at all, Sam. I checked with maintenance for any signs of a power surge, and their diagnostics came up right as rain. As for the sound, well, the only thing I can hear is you. That's... that's not right. I swear that a second after that door closed, everything went dark. Look, my eyes are wide open, but I'm, I'm fumbling around as if I'm in the dark. I don't know if this footage is altered or something. Sam. But I know what I saw and I know what I heard. Do you think I'm the kind of person that would lie about something like this? This has been extremely embarrassing for me. No, I know you'd never pull a stunt like this for fun. That's what's troubling me. <clears throat> How are things? Natalie, I, I don't need to be psychoanalyzed. I, I have a therapist who does that for me. She told me I've had a, an emotional episode that is directly related to stress. The feeling of being cloistered in a small space like an elevator can induce these feelings of panic in anyone. She thinks I should take a vacation, but where would I even go? I can help you with that. Actually, I was looking to hire someone to open our cabin in Vermont for the spring season. It just needs to be cleaned up and dewinterized a bit. Maybe chop some firewood to work some stress out of your bones. It's right on a beautiful lake, and the best part is, I'll pay you for your time. Seriously, take a whole week. It's good to get back to nature once in a while. Heaven knows you can forget it exists out there when you're cooped up in the city all year round. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, nature and I don't really mix. I, I, I live here for a reason. And you've clearly been here for too long. You gotta get some fresh air. Please, I insist. I'll have my secretary send you the address and a list of things you'll need. Consider this a personal favor you're doing for me. All right, all right, all right. Just promise me you're not going to tell people you shipped me upriver to a cabin in the woods. They're, they're going to think you put me in some sort of asylum or something. <laughs> It'll be just between us, I swear. It took me only four and a half hours to drive to the cabin, which was... 
Much less time than I was anticipating. Though I'm not sentimental about these kinds of things, the scenic views I witnessed on Vermont's Interstate 89 were especially captivating. Unintentionally, I had left late, and so as the sun went down, I watched the sky go from blue to pink to mauve to burnt orange with all the beauty of a Maxfield Parish painting. I had heard he lived in this area once, and I could see his muse in the hour before dusk. And, indeed, I was in the midst of that dusk when my GPS indicated that the destination would be on my left. The road I had been on for the last mile and a half was a climbing, lonesome road with no other inlets or outlets, and it ended with a small loop so that one could turn around if he strayed down the wrong path. The road overlooked a lake that was much larger than I imagined, and in the still waters reflected were the growing number of stars that began coming out overhead. The cabin was on the left. It must have been this building, I was sure. It was a single-story wooden structure with a small porch dotted with Adirondack chairs and most showing signs of degradation. And inside the cabin, everything was dark. Very dark. In fact, I I noticed in the waning light just how dark everything would be soon. There were no street lamps, no other buildings, and the tall pines were sure to catch nearly all the light from the moon and stars. I remember really hoping that the power was on in the cabin so I might get out of the darkness as soon as possible. I busied myself that first evening with building a fire in the stove and listening to the tinkling of ice and my glass of Jameson. Cell service was available, but not 4G, and so I accepted that a late-night movie on my phone was just out of the question. I dragged a bed from one of the rooms adjacent to the living room where the stove was positioned and decided that I would sleep here unless it warmed up later in the week. It was cold. As the last dregs of arctic air raged against the coming spring, I finished my drink and soon was in bed. Somewhere on the lake, I heard the sound of loons, which until tonight I had only heard in movies. For a moment, I thought I might actually enjoy this. I woke up at some point before dawn. There was a sound that stood out against the cacophony of forest sounds like a moose in the middle of Times Square. It shouldn't have, though. It it was the sound of an owl. This sound shouldn't have stuck out to my ears, knowing full well that owls are among the fauna that live in these wooded hillsides. But... But there was something about that noise that woke me up from a dead sleep. Made my skin erupt into goosebumps and and kept my eyes open until dawn. The cabin really was a mess. There were... 
spots in the ceiling that the snow melted permeated and pooled onto the floorboards, discoloring the wood. There was the typical spattering of dust and cobwebs to be cleaned, and, well, there was a large amount of very dry wood that needed to be cut from whole rounds to familiar firewood form. <laughs> I, uh, I wondered if Natalie had arranged to have this wood delivered before I arrived, so I'd have a, a pragmatic form of stress relief waiting for me. I spent a large part of the morning pensively chopping wood, breaking the monotony with a ham and cheese sandwich, and frequent gazes over the lake. I had brought a good deal of supplies, mostly going off of a list Natalie gave me. Uh, they were things that were easily cooked on an iron wood stove or on a stick over a fire, hot dogs, marshmallows. Eggs, bacon, ice, lots of ice. I brought a couple bottles of Jameson and a four-pack of some hop-heavy local ale. I spent much of that first day busying myself with tedious fretwork. As the sun began to dip below the tree line, a sudden chill in the air drove me inside by the stove. The wind had picked up considerably and I could hear its high-pitched whistling through the drafty cabin. I've never been one to fall asleep early, usually lying down sometime around 1am, but I felt the effects of that strong Vermont ale and decided to give the whole early to bed, early to rise idea a try. I had hardly closed my eyes when I heard that noise again. It was the owl from the night before. That strange-sounding owl. My bleary eyes opened and searched for my phone. It was 3 a.m. A little too early to rise. I rolled over and buried my head beneath the pillow, hoping to drown out the noise. It was too late for all that, as... As all my attention was fixated on that damn owl's hooting. Finally, I, I couldn't take it anymore. I stumbled out of bed loudly and shuffled my way to the front door. I languorously pulled the door wide and walked out onto the porch, but it was, it was too dark. I fumbled with my phone to turn the flashlight on, and as soon as my torch was lit, I, I scanned the tree line. That was the first time I saw it. Directly in front of me, not more than maybe 30 feet away, on the high branch of a dead oak, was the owl. It was larger than I thought an owl should be. Though I, I, I'd never seen one in person before, and, and the white markings on its face only made the sunken pits of its eyes that much darker. When they caught the light from my phone just right, the eyes themselves became luminous. The wind was very cold now, and I realized I, I, I didn't know what to do to scare this visitor off. Do I shout at it, or do I, do I throw a rock at it? All the while I was pondering this, the owl never moved its gaze from me. It just stood there frozen, 
against the backdrop of slow-moving clouds in the late hours of the half-moon night. I raised my hand over my head somewhat drunkenly and shouted, Ra, get out of here. No Go use. On, get, get it simply here. remained perched on that dead branch, never taking its eyes off me. I was... I was beginning to feel a little bit sick in my stomach. I slowly turned my back on the thing and shut the door. Oh, the nausea was overwhelming and I soon found myself retching in front of the toilet. Dry heaves and nothing more. In moments between the laborious breathing, I was sure I heard the owl start up again. Well, I slept in that morning. I didn't make it out of bed until almost noon, and when I did, I was hungover. My head throbbed with a dull ache, and there was a sourness in my stomach that kept me inside most of the day. It was strange to me. Had I really drank that much last night? I didn't think so. Sure, I I drank the entire four-pack of that heavy ale, but that wouldn't have rendered me as useless as I felt, even if it was 8%. The whole thing was starting to make me feel anxious. Images of that owl's white face fluttered in and out of my mind. I could see its face with frightening clarity. Tawny markings about the pits of its eyes like... Ripples in an alabaster pool. The hours seemed to fly by. I pulled one of the Adirondack chairs inside and positioned it in front of a window where I could watch the sun go down. I found myself feeling increasingly subdued as I stared unblinking and slack-jawed at the vanishing orb of light slipping below the horizon. I had made a point not to drink all day or at night. I needed a clear head in case that owl came back again. I wasn't sure what I would, or even could, do. I had no gun or air horn to scare it off. There were a few broken bits of stone and mortar in the fireplace, so I gathered those and placed them on the nightstand like they were bullets to a revolver I kept under my pillow. I felt very foolish, like a child preparing for the attack of some imaginative monster in his closet that only comes out at night. I had some difficulty getting to sleep. Besides the fact I was dead sober, I had spent most of the day in hungover repose. I felt full of unspent energy. A couple of times I had gotten up and walked out on the porch to listen. I didn't hear anything at all. I took some time to close all the curtains, lock the door, and stoke the fire in the stove. I fell asleep somewhere around two. But an hour later, I was jolted out of bed by that familiar noise. 
I sprung out of bed with great anticipation. In a flash, I had grabbed a rock and my phone and listened for the noise. It had sounded far off, but all was quiet now. I paced the room like a stalking tiger, phone's radiant beam in one hand and a rock held high in the other. There was no more noise. Frustrated and wide awake, I cursed under my breath and lowered the phone and the rock. I walked back to bed, but just before I sat down, I heard a new noise. A terrifying noise. The sound had come straight from the window in front of the chair. I wheeled around and shone the beam at the window, but the dark and opaque curtains caught the light. There was no more sounds coming from the window at all. I couldn't see what was on the other side, but I felt my skin grow hot and prickle with sweat. My mouth went dry as my breathing became quick and shallow. I moved toward the window as slowly I brought the rock up in a throwing position. I paused at the curtain, just dumbfounded and terrified. I had to see what the noise was. I drew in a deep breath and... Exhaled sharply before extending my hand, the one holding the phone, to the curtain. I grasped it with two fingers and quickly flung it aside. I shined the light at the window and let out an involuntary scream. It was so large, it nearly blocked out the background. The owl was perched directly on the empty flower box outside the window and its head was craned and bent. It was staring at me with its rippled eyes. I staggered backwards and fell into the chair. My sudden collapse into the chair must have agitated it because it quickly swung its head in a low arc before it cried out. Without even thinking, I hurled the rock at the ghastly thing in the window. My throwing motion caused me to drop my phone, and I quickly sunk to the floor to find it. I picked it up and scanned its beam back at the now-broken window. Only darkness. It was gone. For a moment, I thought I may have hit it. Perhaps it was stunned on the ground right outside my now-breached cabin. I timidly poked my head out of the hole in the window and looked down, but... Nothing. Nothing but broken glass. But in the distance, I heard the droning echo of hooting as the sound flew farther and farther into the woods. That incident at the window had rendered me completely useless the next day. I swept up the glass on the floor, though actually the majority of it had landed outside. It took some time to pick up the pieces that were nestled in the grass and hard to find. Inevitably, I cut the tip of one of my fingers as I raked the grass looking for more shards. I stared blankly at the slow pooling of blood there. And slowly, I tipped my finger upside down and watched a couple of the sanguine drops fall into the dirt. 
I had to jar myself out of this unconscious state after a few minutes to go get a band-aid. I was glad that Natalie had put first aid kit at the top of my list of supplies to bring. Who knew I would have needed it? Whether it was due to lack of quality sleep or simply shock at the strange events that had been occurring, it felt so easy to dissociate from my surroundings. If I stared at the same object for more than a moment, I could feel the tension in my face alleviate and my jaw hang open. I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop thinking about the owl and how it seemed to on the three previous nights to have starred at its strange noise-making around 3 a.m. There was a part of me, the sensible part, I think, that thought I should just pack up and leave. Unfortunately, having something of a scientist's curiosity about the thing by now, I resolved myself to stay one more evening to test my strange theory. I set my alarm for 3 a.m. and aimed to be prepared to defend myself in case I was right. There was an extra set of bed sheets I used to cover the now broken window using a few small tacks I found already stuck in the wall. In the waning hours before dark, I walked to the edge of the woods in search of a long stick I could fashion into a spear. <laughs> the very idea of creating such a primitive weapon out here in the boonies of Vermont would have made me laugh a week prior. But, but things had changed since then. And I set about this task with keen resolution. As you can probably imagine, it was very hard to fall asleep that night. There was an odd stillness in the air. Again, the surrounding forest was shrouded in silence. Not a chirp from a lonely cricket could even be heard, and the only sound coming from inside the cabin was a muted crackle of the fire churning in the stove. Once in the night, I rolled over to double-check I had set the alarm properly. And having satisfied my curiosity, I closed my eyes and, and finally got some rest. Have you ever experienced the odd sensation of waking a mere moment before your alarm goes off? Your mind suddenly arouses from its slumber and small tingles of anticipation drip down your spine. I remember, I remember being a child when my alarm clock was my mother in her breakfast apron and despite not hearing the muffled footfalls of her moccasined feet, somehow I would know the exact moment she was going to open my door. The tingling in my spine would tell me. I used to like to sit up straight in bed right before she came in so as to shock her with my wakefulness. The second she came into the room, I would fling my eyes wide open. Well, I felt the tingling again. It started at the nape of my neck 
and electrically moved down to my tailbone. I noticed something odd right away. Through closed lids, I could tell that the lights were on. The brightness of the room seeped into my veiled eyes. I gulped as quietly as I could, slowly positioning my hand closer to the nightstand where my crude spear had been leaning. I took one last labored breath before I opened my eyes. The, the, uh, the horror I felt as I saw what I am about to describe still keeps me awake at all hours of the night. The images I saw flash through my mind like the pictures of an old orange picture viewer just pressed rapidly. Even now I feel wet tears stinging my eyes as I attempt to tell you just what I saw. When I opened my eyes, I saw them, all of them, on top of every surface, every broken chair, all the furniture, every box and board and shelf, and still there were, there were owls. They would have been impossible to count in my state of shock, but there must have been dozens. It only took a moment for me to realize that every single one of them was the same. Tawny bodies with rippled white faces and eyes as black as pitch. I reached for the spear, but it was gone. There, there on the nightstand, a mere foot and a half away from me, was an owl. No, the owl. I recoiled and pressed my back into the wall as my eyes jumped between the intruders with the wildness of a frenzied dog. It was then that the alarm went off. Its cheerful tone filled the room, and all at once the owls seemed to raise themselves up a few inches. I wanted to turn off the alarm, but my phone was lying in front of that owl, the leader, who too had grown in size and shape in response to the blithesome tone. Then all at once, the owls drew themselves to their highest shape and hooted. And when they did, a slimy film of lids slid over the blackness of their eyes. So I ran. I ran as fast as I could. I jumped up out of bed and ran towards the door. All at once, the owls took flight in the small cabin. I could feel the rush of air from their flapping, and they were hitting me with their wings and their bodies. It was fucking pandemonium. I shielded my eyes with my forearms as I fought my way to the door. I caught a glimpse of the sheet that I hung over the broken window. It had a large slice down the middle of it and was flowing with the current of air. I crashed into the door and grabbed my keys from where they hung on the wall. I threw open the door and ran out into the night making a break for my car. I was sure they were coming after me. I had to hurry. I fumbled with the keys before unlocking my car. I quickly fell into the driver's seat, slammed the door behind me, and with a satisfying click, I locked the doors and fired up the engine. 
When the headlights came on, things only got stranger. First off, I immediately noticed that through the trees there were lights in the sky that I didn't recognize. I thought they were far too bright to be distant stars, and the partial concealment from the trees made it impossible to tell how near or far those lights were. I also noticed that the owls were nowhere to be seen. I left the door to the cabin wide open, but looking into the illuminated room, there was there was nothing. It was empty. I uh, did notice something peculiar and, well, unsettling to say the least. There... Standing just outside the broken window was a thing. Despite the lights partially shining on it, it seemed to be a shadowy silhouette of an extremely tall humanoid shape. It appeared to have its arm outstretched with an extremely long forefinger bent in an odd claw-like manner and it was pointed at the cabin. I stared at it a moment, but when it slowly turned its head in my direction, I could see the great pits where its eyes should be. That was it. I had had enough of this cabin, the Owls of Vermont. I quickly backed up my car and turned around. I sped away from the cabin with blatant disregard for such trivialities as speed limits, and when I looked in my rearview mirror, I could see the figure was gone. It must have slipped away into the darkened timbers. I drove all night. I was headed back home to New York. To all the stuff I left behind in the cabin, I said to hell with it. The owls can have that stuff. The food, the whiskey, the clothes, hell. I even left my phone behind. I decided I'd get a new one when I reached the city. I wanted nothing to remind me of this terrifying ordeal. While I was driving, I spent a good deal of time questioning my sanity. What did all this mean? Were those hallucinations? Does that explain how the owls managed to disappear, or... Or why I saw those strange lights above the cabin? I shook the idea out of my head. I wasn't crazy. I know what I saw, and I know what I heard. But people, people would never believe me. I'd have to explain to Natalie why I left so early, and apologize for all the mess I left behind. I remember the way she looked at me as we watched the footage from my breakdown in the elevator. Supportive and concerned, but skeptical. I decided I would tell her there was a family emergency I needed to attend to, which is why I left the cabin in such a hurried fashion. Yeah, yeah, she would believe that. I've been back in the city a couple weeks now. I feel relieved to be within the safety of my tall apartment building with the familiar city noise, and it's brought the return of meaningful sleep. 
Natalie tells me she's hired someone to fix the window in the cabin. I told her that it was broken when I arrived. And to finish tidying up the old place before summer hits its stride. She invited me to spend the weekend there this summer with her and some friends, but I politely declined, hoping the prickling sweat on my forehead wouldn't convey my fright. I did work up the courage to ask her if she'd heard any owls previously, but uh, to my surprise she said no, just the eerie noises the loons make near dawn. Why? she asked. No reason. I said. You may be wondering why I bring all this up. Why I bothered recording this story and leaving the recording on my laptop in a file marked urgent, please listen. I did it so this record could be easily found in the event of my, uh, well, shall we say disappearance. You see, I've been getting the odd feelings again the tingling sensation, and the familiar nausea. I I think it's coming for me here, in the city. Call it intuition, call it speculation, call it whatever the fuck you want. I've been waking up at 3 a.m. again. There are no sounds. Not even city sounds. And I can't fall back to sleep. I, I think it found me. I don't I don't know how. Today I found further evidence to support that claim. When I opened the door to leave for work today, there was something on the ground. The hallway was clean, spotless, except for this one thing. It was an odd-looking oval of gray and brown, with small bits of white jutting out. I knelt down and picked it up. It was soft, and it felt like a clump of hair or feathers. Then I noticed that the bits of white were in fact bones, small bones. I slowly bent and broke open the object and something fell out onto the floor. I leaned forward to get a closer look. Somehow. I knew at once what it was. It was a skull. It was a bird's skull. And based on the size and the shape of it, I guessed it was a pigeon's.